0: I envision a day when this church is a little bit more like Spinga. I envision a day when this church is a little bit more like Alcoholics Anonymous. What do I mean by that? Let's talk about Spinga first. As you know, that's this thing where I've talked about where I go and do 20 minutes of cycling, followed by 20 minutes of biking, followed by 20 minutes of yoga. And it's not pretty. I mean, it's really not. I still, after five months, there is no way I can touch my ankles without bending my knees, still. Well, I can touch the toes, but the knees have to bend, and some of these things, but they're really loving. They really are. They want the best you that you can be, and so there are all kind of people doing all of these different movements with their bodies, and with my two knee replacement surgeries, there's just some ways my knees don't bend, but they're very kind. Just you be the best you that you can be as we all make progress and have different journeys in this health plan that we have. Same is kind of true with Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know if you've ever gone or if you've ever been a sponsor, but when you go to a place like Alcoholics Anonymous, you sit there with a bunch of people and they're really not having the ego trip. They're not judging, saying, hey, my, my drug of choice was beer. That's not as bad as your drug of choice, which was liquor. Uh, They're just people that are broken by their sin. And they are at different levels of progress in saying no to sin. But there's a general attitude of love and humility and forgiveness and expectation. You're not going to bring your alcohol into that meeting. And yes, there are some tokens where they can say, hey, I just want to rejoice with my brothers that this is how long it's been since I had my last drink. But it's a place where people go to be humble, a place where people go in need, a place where people go to confess and to build one another up. That's what the church of Jesus Christ should look like. It should not look like a debutante ball where we show up and try to make sure that our daughter and our family looks much sharper than your daughter and that family. This is a place for people to come that are humble, that are broken, that are not comparing themselves one to another, that are confessing, that are forgiving, and have some degree of expectation that we're not going to walk like we used to walk. At least you're not going to do it with our hands on your back. You may do it with us sc- grabbing you, kicking and screaming from your sin. But that's what the church of Jesus Christ should look like. I see that in this text before us here in 1 John 1. This is the word of God. I'll begin reading 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, the man, the men, the message, and the madness. That's kind of where we go, if you want to go ahead and start writing that down. The man, it's, John's been talking about this someone who's kind of a something, or a someone with a something, he was from the beginning, he was from the foundation of the world, He was with the Father. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, the same one that he wrote about when Paul read in the Gospel of John. This is the someone who was made manifest. He was revealed, and people heard him and looked at him and saw him and even uncomfortably touched or grasped him. This was the Jesus Christ, who is the Logos of Zoe, the Logos of life, the Word of life. Wisdom personified if you're a Hebrew. The creative force and the logic behind all things if you're the Greek. This is Jesus, his Lord, his Savior, and his friend. And it's right there. You need to get this. This is the message of him. So whatever John is getting ready to say is of him. The word of life. You better be careful before you disregard what he has to say the man christ jesus in verse five we've heard from him in him there is no darkness in verse six we have fellowship with him he is the light he is faithful and just this is the man so that's the first point we're done second point the men the man has his men the teacher has his teacher the master has his disciples All throughout so far, he's been talking about we. John is writing this epistle, but he's writing it with a we, from a we perspective. I think he's writing from people who have been witnesses of Christ, who were called by Christ to be with him, who saw his life, who saw his death, who saw his resurrection, who could sing, we believe, as you just did. They were freshly commissioned to go and preach the gospel to all nations This we had actually made it to Asia Minor, and this we was now writing them a letter. This is a group of people, a fellowship, that are writing because they're motivated. Oh, we want you people getting this letter. We, the representatives that walked with Jesus, want you, too, to enjoy fellowship with us. We want you, too, to have fellowship with the Father and the Son, and we want our joy to be complete. This is where we were last week. So we have the man, who has his men, isn't that good news? And they have a message. What is that message? At this point, it looks like a seven-minute sermon, doesn't it? We are making progress. Where does this message come from? Let's repeat, the source. Oh, this is John, I got something to say. This is the apostles, we have something to say. But this is the message of him. He has something to say. This is not a message to be messed with. And what's the thesis? What's the main idea of his message? God is light. Just stop there. That's the thesis. God is light. Now I may even later, it depends on how the time goes, walk through how light is used in the Bible. But I would encourage you to write down three words here. If you do a systematic theology of light in the Bible as it relates to God, God is the light of revelation. He reveals. He presents truth. It's his intellect. It's his wisdom. God is the light of illumination. He shines within like a spotlight. And God is the light of life. God is the light of sanctification. He is the one who encourages growth, encourages beauty, encourages development, gives warmth. So those three words are going to pop up over and over again. Revelation, illumination, and sanctification. And the author wants you to know that Jesus wants you to know that God is light. So you want to know truth? you got to know God. You want to know how you stand? you got to be illumined by God. You want to know how to grow and how to enjoy what he's done for you and what he is doing through you as light fosters growth as it does on the farm? It's God's light that does this. That's his thesis. But then he presents his antithesis. Um, This is called synthetic parallelism, which means basically I say one thing in one way, but I say the exact same thing in another way to add emphasis. So God is light, in him is no darkness. So this is the antithesis, light, darkness, God, not God. He also uses a double negative, which you're taught in English never to do, but in the Greek, here it is. God has no darkness, none at all. That's how much he wants you to understand that in this realm over here where there is not a God, there's only darkness. In this realm where, there, where God is, there is no darkness to be found. So that's the antithesis. So now let's go back with those three words. Revelation of truth and wisdom and intellect and logic versus folly, lies. We have over here the attitude of illumination where God shines in and he highlights and he helps you see the truth of who you are versus walking in the shadows, hiding, deceiving, putting up a costume or a facade. And over here we have life, salvation, warmth, pleasure, growth, beauty, ethical holiness, purity. He's the light. He's the light. And over here, you have death, curse, depravity, debauchery. Notice that there's no middle ground. Darkness, light. Notice that there's no blending. There's no mixture. And I would tell you there's no comparison. This is where you want to be. This is where you don't want to So we have the message, but some people were messing with the message. John says, this is my view, this is our view, this is his view, but there were some mad men in the pulpit. There are always mad men in the pulpit. I don't want to be such. And John now writes some if-thens. Three of the if-thens start with, If someone claims or if we claim, and I think that's the outline of what he's basically saying. What were the madmen saying? Here we go. Number one, if you are someone who claims cleansing and fellowship while walking in darkness, you lie. You almost have to say it like that, don't you? You lie. Someone claims fellowship if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth Someone says me and God we're tight Someone says you and us we are tight I'm in with him. I'm in with you. I'm a part of the church. I have made my vows I have made my profession of faith. I tell everybody about oh how I love Jesus and sometimes I sing with my hands lifted high Some people Claim fellowship. But some of these people claim fellowship, but they do not practice the truth. Or they do not walk in light. Instead, they walk in darkness. Do you see that? So this is someone who says, I'm over here in the light. But with their conduct, they're over here. In the Bible, that word for does not practice the truth, they do or they perform or they act or behave not in accordance with the truth. It's an active word. They know the truth, but they do not do the truth, so they're actually proclaiming that they're walking in revelation, but they're actually walking in accordance with ignorance. Or they proclaim that they're walking in Uh, holiness, sanctification, but in reality, they're walking in debauchery, unholiness. Or they claim now and they see themselves and they say, "Yeah, yeah, 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 but we're okay. The Bible says that such people that are walking in the shadows, that are walking in death, that are not walking in salvation and growth and blessing and warmth and pleasure and fellowship and love, that these people may claim they're in the light, but they're really in the darkness. And this this is anyone, notice he says the we. It wouldn't matter who you are that says this. You could be an apostle, but if you're an apostle like, uh, let's pick Judas, who makes the big claim, oh, I do works for Christ, but in your heart and in your attitude, which is manifest a lot of times in different works and different things you do, like selling Jesus and betraying him with a kiss, you're living here and you're satisfied, it just basically says you're a liar. That just cannot possibly be true. We've talked before about me and Indian food. Indian food just has this ability of affecting my body odor. Or you go to the beach, the beach just has this ability to affect skin tone. One thing leads to another. If you are a child of light, then it's expected that Jesus Christ is doing his work in you. It's expected that you have the Holy Spirit, who's really, really powerful, who has the ability to fruit you from the inside out that that God who began everything is going to finish it in you and that you should see now this love for the light. And if this is where you're camped out because you walked an aisle, you prayed a prayer or you sing some songs or have some goosebumps on your arms every now and then, that doesn't mean anything. If you claim that I am walking in the light, that I am cleansed and that I have fellowship. And you're living like the devil and you don't care, you should not have assurance of your salvation. You lie. You're a big talker. Your deeds are incompatible with your confession. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress has a guy named Mr. Talkative He talks of prayer of repentance and faith and the new birth, but he knows but only how to talk. Religion has no place in his heart. All he hath just lieth on the tongue. Instead, what do you do if you're someone like me? What do you do if you're someone like Paul? What do you do if you're someone like John? What if you're in the we who says, but I, I live in the light. I love the light. I want the light, but I still, I I, I got this part of me that I hate, that I battle with, that wins too often. What do you do? Look at the next verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This is the idea that what we should do is want to walk in the light of revelation, walk in the light of illumination, walk in the light of sanctification, and this refers to, we we have this desire. And see, there's the big difference. This person who's an unbeliever, the apostate, the counterfeit, he claims one thing, but in his heart, he could care less. But if you claim something and want something, but you keep finding yourself doing something, that's a whole nother matter. Welcome now to the crowd of people in not Alcoholics Anonymous, but Sin Anonymous. We are now people who now want to do what's right, but we still battle, Oh, wretched people that we are, as we still have this remaining sin. And so now we want to live in the light. We want to practice our sanctification. We want to enjoy the light of life. We want to enjoy true fellowship And we actually know that this is really good news. For Jesus Christ's blood was sacrificed for all of our sins, not just the initial sins of us coming to Christ, but for all the sins that we commit all the days of our life. This is really good news. So the first thing that you need to see is you're a liar, though, if you say, I am with God, I am in fellowship, I'm walking in the light, and yet you're living like hell, and you don't care. That's not Christianity. And you need today to be saved. And the good news is, he's here. He's ready to hear your confession and bring you into the family. The second lie, here we go. It's found in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you claim sinlessness and dismiss ongoing confession, you deceive yourself. In John's day, someone is a Gnostic. Someone is separating the spiritual from the material. Remember, we talked about that last week. Someone is believed to have advanced to a stage beyond sinfulness. They're actually stating their belief. We presently have no singular sin. They're actually standing before the congregation saying, Well, I, I don't have any sin anymore. Someone believes he or she is now sinless by some mystical fellowship of Christ. They are claiming they have no remaining depravity. They have no remaining indwelling sin. They have no remaining sinful residue. They have no remaining fleshly indications or desire. They have no war within. The war is done. This person, if they were living today, would be standing in direct opposition not only to what Jesus says, but what our church says. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, in chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, During life on this earth, this corrupt nature remains in those who are regenerated. And although it is pardoned and deadened in Christ, yet it and all its own pulses are truly and properly sinful. So this represents why many of us, all of us are here calling upon Christ, living in the light, wanting to be in the light, but we keep finding ourselves struggling with our old patterns, our old habits, the old nature, the old flesh. Charles Spurgeon once has a funny story. The great Baptist preacher was intrigued when someone claimed to be without sin. The preacher wanted to learn more, so he invited the man home for dinner. After hearing his claims, Spurgeon arose from his chair at lunch picked up a glass of water, and threw it across the man's face. Immediately and understandably, this perfect man showed his imperfections, causing quite a scene, showing his anger and language to cross the line of courtesy. To which Spurgeon said, with a twinkle in his eye, oh, you see, the old man within you is not as dead as you claim. He had simply fainted, and I have revived him with but a glass of water. If you're a Gnostic, you're deceiving yourself. That's what the scripture says here. If you claim to be presently without sin, you're self-deceived, you're blind. The truth is not in you here in verse eight. In verse 10, the word is not in you. And this applies to anyone. Whether you be pastor, elder, deacon, long-term saint, new Christian. We don't wanna be those who claim sinlessness and dismiss ongoing confession. Instead, what do we do? Look at verse nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Undeceived family members enjoy the light of revelation. They know that's God's good law. They enjoy the light of God's introspection, his inspection as he looks and shines and they find new areas of their life which aren't as beautiful as they may want it to be. And they're reminded, and they don't hate that. They love the fact that God is showing them the next area of life that they get to to work on with Him, with the Spirit. Undeceived family members enjoy the light of illumination. And so instead of using their mouth to walk around going, I'm not sinful, they now use their mouth to walk around doing what? Confessing their sins. (laughs) They say the same thing God says about their affections, their thoughts, their words, and their deeds. And notice here that you're starting to see sin and sins. There is a distinction between the singular sin and the plural sins. What I think the author is trying to say is you have this sin nature which manifests itself in sinful things. And so this man confesses both his sin and his sins. He faces his sin. He makes no excuses. He doesn't seek to hide it. And he does this more and more as he progresses because as he's walking in the light of the illumination of God's word, more and more he is seeing what holiness looks like. More and more he's hearing wisdom. More and more he's seeing how gorgeous Jesus is. More and more he is now seeing how I don't measure up to him. And now more and more as he progresses, he confesses because he now wants to, because he can't stand the uh, distinction between who he is now and what he will one day be when all the battle with sin is over. Undeceived family members then realize the gospel promises of the faithful and the just God. God is a promise keeper. God is not a liar. God is one who looks at you and says, I am the faithful one. I am the righteous one. I am the one who never demands double payment. And if all of your sins were placed on my son, I now pronounce to you your forgiveness. This is the really good news. So what do Christians do? What do those who are in fellowship do? We confess our sins in a habitual way over and over again in the present tense. We keep doing it and we keep enjoying fresh cleansing. There is a justification cleansing. There is a sanctification cleansing. And this is what we do for the rest of our days as we now live in light of the gospel, the promises of the faithful and true one. God perpetually forgives. God perpetually cleanses. That's how it is. John then goes to his third claim. If you claim sinlessness and dismiss human depravity, you make God a liar. It's not fun to look at the Albright's and say, Oh boy, your boy is in trouble. I just feel dirty saying that. It's not cool. It's true. Original sin. It's passed down. And human depravity is a fact. But there are some who get to the point that they say, that's not true with me. If that's you, you have not the truth in verse 8. You have not the word in verse 10. And you're, in effect, calling God a liar because that's what he has to say about you. So this is what we see, that John is writing to his friends, he's addressing people, I think, that have two major issues here today. He's addressing people that, first of all, say, man, I'm all in. I may be a sinner, but I'm walking with Jesus now, but I'm, I'm living in sin. And He's going, what in the world are you talking about? He'll talk about that more. He'll say things like, how in the world can you say you love God if you don't love your brothers? But he's also addressing those people who think that they're hyper-spiritual, that somehow, because of what Christ has done for them, that they no longer struggle with sin. And they might say something like, I don't sin anymore. You're in the wrong we. You need to be in the we of the Apostle John and the disciples who habitually confess their sins. And then we need to be amongst the people who are like Spinga, Or like Alcoholics Anonymous. Or maybe who are just like a hospital. Or maybe who are like a really good gospel-driven church. Ready to hear your confession. Confess with you. Pronounce pardon and forgiveness on one another. Pick each other up by the bootstraps and say, let's keep going. Because we want to walk in the light. I have a couple more things to say. But I want to give you a moment to meditate as you listen to this song.
1: Lie number one, you're supposed to have it all together. When they ask how you doing, you smile and tell them never better. Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. Keep your messes in your bones And your secrets say that you'll be our clothes, Lord (coughs) The truth be told The truth is rarely told I say I'm fine, yeah I'm fine You know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it. But being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no fail, you don't fall. There's no sin, you don't already know. So let the truth be told. There's a sign on the door, says come as you are. I doubt it. We knew like that was true. Every Sunday morning, you would be crying. But didn't you say church should look more like a hospital? A safe place for the sick, the sinner in the scarred, and the prodigals like me. Will truth be told? The truth is rarely told. Am I the only one who says, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, yeah, hey, I'm fine, but I'm not, I'm broken, and when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not, and you know it, I don't know why it's so hard to admit it, when being honest is the only way to fix it, there's no failure. truth be told The truth
0: be told. So we live in the light of revelation where God says, This is the good way, walk you in it. And we say, No. God says, That's the wrong way, don't go there. And we say, We know better. And then God somehow sends a preacher, God sends His Spirit. And he starts shining something in our hearts. And he says, do you see what you're thinking? Do you see what you're feeling? Do you see what you're saying? Do you see what you're doing? And uh, we don't like that. The light comes into the darkness and the darkness doesn't like it. And it's a tendency for us to turn away and deny what he's saying or deny the reality. But the power of God is so powerful. And Jesus came into the darkness and the darkness does not overcome. And sometimes you're sitting there and he right now is looking at you and he's speaking at you in your chest. And he is showing you something that you said to your wife, something you did to your parents, something you did with your girlfriend, something you took from your boss. He's sitting here singing something about an attitude of bitterness or anger or unforgetfulness. He's talking to you about that lust in your head. He's talking about those words that you use. He's talking about your affections that are so dim for him. And right now you're saying, Ooh, I don't like this. But he won't let you go. Because he loves you. Because there's the light of revelation. And today is the light of illumination as he's now showing you. Not to hurt you. If he wanted to leave you be, he would turn his back and kind of let you be depraved more and more as you spiral down in Romans 1 language. But he's not. He's right here now with the light of revelation and the light of illumination. And what he's saying is, I am warming you. I am shining on you. I have the light of salvation, the light of sanctification. Come back to me. Let's agree together. Let's call sin what it is. Let's quit believing the hype that you're preaching to yourself. Yes, I love you. Yes, I've forgiven you. Yes, you're my saint. Yes, I declare you to be blameless even though... You do wrong. And so he's saying, prodigal son, prodigal daughter, how much longer are you going to live in the pit when you're my son? Come back. Quit eating that stuff that we give to hogs. Come back to my table right now. And if that's what God is doing, this is the day of habitual repentance. That's what we do every Sunday. We come in here and we confess our sins, and that's what we do every Monday. We confess our sins again. This is the mark of a Christian. Not that they are sinless, but that they confess their sins and start practicing that new heart that they have, and how far you're gonna get down that road before you lose your coin again and have to go back to your mentors and your friends and your sponsors, your pastors and your elders, and say, I lost my coin. I partook again. But what will you do? What will you get from us? At least what will you get from me when you come back saying, my five-year coin's done. I got to start again. This was a bad week. I promise you what you'll get from me. And I have great confidence in the elders as well. We will have these tears that start flowing. The arms will start reaching. The hugs will start being felt around you as we now act like a hospital, not comparing ourselves with you, but calling you to come walk back with us towards Jesus Christ. And so we end today by showing the mark of a true church. We are not those people like Adam who say is It's your fault, God. You gave me this wife. We are not those people like Cain who say, what, brother? We are not those people who stand and say, oh, God, I thank you that I'm saved and I'm not a sinner like. No, we are people who beat our chest and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we do it on the day of justification and every day of our life until the day that we don't do it any longer because we sin no more because with art we are with Jesus so now let's confess our sins would you pray with me Lord I acknowledge my sin to you I will not cover my iniquity My transgression is to the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. You tell me that whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You tell us, your church, to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed. And as we will see next week, Lord, you tell us that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins. And so here we are. We are guilty. And we continue to sin. But we want to walk in the light and enjoy fellowship with you and be freshly cleansed. So with your servant David, we pray, create in us clean hearts again, O Lord. Renew right spirits within us. Cast us not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Oh, come on, Lord. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. And then we will tell others about you the truth will be told in Jesus name we pray Amen